Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're happy to have visiting with us today our brother Robert Thompson. Looking forward to what the Lord's going to say to us through our brother Robert. So I'll turn our Bible Instruction Time over to him this morning. Thank you very much. It's been a privilege to be with you again this morning. It's always good to come on holiday to Florida. We've missed it the last few years, um, but it's good to be with you today. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2 and the first four verses then, as Lanny has very ably read out for us. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through to 4. I was speaking to a friend of mine, I'll not say who it was in case I think some of you will know. I said, when you speak abroad, do you slow your speech down so that everybody can understand what you're saying? And he said, no, you speed up. Because then, less people will understand you, and so you'll have less questions at the end, and so it'll be easier for you overall. I suspect even if you've not been to the parks recently, you'll have seen the adverts around it's the 50th year of, the 50th anniversary of the Walt Disney Parks here in, in Florida, in Orlando area, and you'll have seen that number 50 around everywhere, and it got me thinking this last few weeks, and... We have here 50 as an important number in the Bible, and we've read about it here in Acts chapter 2. 50 in the Bible we have, and it tells us, it links us with this day of Pentecost. Pentecost just means 50th, and it's a day which was anticipated. It was a day which was actioned, and then we'll, if we've got time, and I think we've got until, what was it, half 12 we said, or thereabouts. I think we'll have time to look at it, analyze in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but we'll need to get a move on. Interesting, the Lord Jesus spoke more about this day than any of the prophets before the Lord came. And numerous times, time after time in John's gospel, we have the Lord Jesus telling the disciples, particularly in the upper room, chapters 14 through to 17, we have the Lord Jesus telling the disciples in advance that there was somebody else who's going to come. Just like him, an advocate, uh, one of the same, and we have indicated by the Lord Jesus who it was that was going to come. And if you're taking notes down, here we've got Pentecost anticipated by the Lord Jesus. In John 14, verse 26, we have this comforter uh, described as one who would come soon, and this was another advocate. We have in John 7, prior to that, verse 37 through to 39, the Lord Jesus discusses with uh, the disciples in a group and he's talking about living water and there's a multitude of people listening in as well and it's this again this one who would come the Holy Spirit God himself who's going to come in the future after the Lord Jesus departed and we have him described as being living water here we have another satisfier in John 17 as the Lord Jesus comes to a conclusion in his conversation with the disciples in that room before they left before his arrest we have described that the Holy Spirit himself would be a unifier in verse 11, 21, 22. And there we have another collaboration, you might say. And then finally in verse 22 of John's Gospel in chapter 20, we have described this event where the Lord Jesus breathes. There's breath given, so that the Holy Spirit is linked with breath. And we'll see that in this, these four verses of this chapter that we've read in Acts. And if it has, we had another advocate, another satisfier, another collaboration, we've got another life, because it's the Holy Spirit who gives life. It's the Holy Spirit who rejuvenates us, who regenerates us better when it is that somebody believes in the Lord Jesus and is saved. 
And that brings us round to this point, which is quite important, I think, that Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit here in this day, is a salvation event. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's this, and we're right when it is that we focus on the death of the Lord Jesus as being the most important event in history, which has brought about salvation. That's true. Christ died for our sins, the scriptures tell us. Without the death of the Lord Jesus, it would have been impossible for forgiveness from God to be offered out to the people of this world, and it would have been impossible for any of us, of any description, of any type, to be in heaven. And so we have the fact, clearly, we believe this point, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and so it's through his death that salvation is made possible. Mind you, there are other historical events whereby they were essential for salvation to come to us as well. And it was necessary, as you know fine, it was necessary for the Lord Jesus to be born in that distinctly unique way when it was that he came into the world. Without the virgin birth, or maybe a better virgin consummation, without that, then it would have been impossible for salvation to come as well, because it was necessary for one to come who was of a different order altogether. He's different. He's distinctly different. And so the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus is a salvation moment as well. We have the death of the Lord Jesus. We have the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He was raised for our justification. And it's not just the case that he died for our sins, but he was buried and he rose again. And so essential that Christ is alive just now because ultimately it's Christ in heaven who saves and not a Christ on the cross. It is one who's alive in heaven just now, the Son of God exalted, and he it is who saves, who moves in bringing people to the point of faith in his name. And then finally, of course, we have his ascension to glory, which was essential as well. The fact that he's in heaven is totally necessary when it comes to this business of us being saved from our sins. But the fact that the Holy Spirit came down is so important and so necessary as well. And so when it is that we consider this descent from heaven, and that's what we're, we're, we're reading about when we read these verses. In verse 2 it says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Here we have the noise, if you like, of the descent of the Holy Spirit coming down into and upon the earth and into these believers, which we'll get to shortly. This fact that the, the Holy Spirit has descended was necessary for you and I to be saved as well. You know, we have no links with God, we have no links with Christ, apart from the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us. The fact that he dwells within us allows us to dwell in God. The Lord Jesus said to the disciples, it was necessary for you to abide in me, when he described the, the fact that there would be this relationship like um, the vine and... Christ dwells in us and we in him, and that is all made possible through the fact that the Holy Spirit has descended, has come down, and is within us. Both of these things are dependent on each other. He dwells in us and we in him. Now let's do a little bit of a history lesson just very quickly as we spin through this. This was predicted as well, not just by the Lord Jesus, the fact that the Holy Spirit would come down, but it was opaquely, vaguely um, predicted in the feasts as well. We have, as you'll know, the seven feasts of Jehovah, and I've not got time to go into any, any of that, and you'll be glad about that because we'd be here a while, and even if I had the ability to achieve it, we'd be here for hours. But one of those feasts was the Feast of Weeks, and that occurred 50 days after the, Pentecost, the, the Passover weekend in the Jewish calendar. And it was a feast of first fruits, and it was... 
something which was associated by the, the Israelites eventually with the giving of the law. It seemed to have timed itself with the moment that Moses came down from the mountain, although that's not clearly stated in the Exodus record, but the time scale seems to fit. And through the generations, that's what Israelites uh, tended to come to the conclusion of. And so this Feast of Weeks became a celebration of the giving of the law and the implementation of this covenant that came through Moses. But it's interesting, if it is that you tie these two things up and they certainly overlap or are very close to each other in a, a normal calendar if you're looking at it, it's interesting, when the law came and Moses delivered it, he came down from the, the mountain, there was that unseemly and disastrous event with the the golden calf and the like and this turning again to idolatry which the Israelites were involved in which was desperate and awful but that was a moment which sadly was associated with judgment coming from God and 3,000 people being killed with God's judgment an awful event but it's interesting that when you come to the book of the Acts and the Holy Spirit descends at a similar time in the, in the calendar, at least to when the law was given, we don't have 7,000 people dying or being killed under judgment. We have, have 3,000 people being saved through grace. 3,000 people dying back then when the law, the law came as Moses came down. Well, the contrast is that God in grace in this phase of time is coming and 3,000 people are saved at the end of this chapter. And so God is moving in a totally different way. You know, this was the final sign to Israel. The prophets had stated over and over and over again that God would reveal himself through miraculous ways. And we can think of great events in the Old Testament record where God moved and the people of God saw the power of God and they knew, therefore, that they had relationship with God. Well, this was demonstration, the last demonstration that... God was interested in Israel and God was guiding the Israelites to, to turn and to... That's not my tummy rumbling here. I can assure you I've not had much to eat this morning. didn't even have a donut. Um, this is God directing... That sounded, that sounded like a Lion King festival that we were at earlier in the week. <laughs> this is the final sign as these men come up and speak in tongues to Israel. And whether they accepted it or not was going to be important as, as uh, history moved on. But what about Pentecost action then? Let's look at these verses that Lanny read from, for us today. For 50 days after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, Pentecost itself means 50th. The Jews were having their feast at this moment. Um, and Luke in his record states it clearly. It says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, this is the moment of the fulfillment of divine prophecy. God is saying to us, this is it, this is it completed, this is it accomplished, this is what I was pointing towards, this is it uh, fulfilled. And what was it that was being fulfilled? Well, it was just this, that God's spirit was descending from heaven. 120 people are in the room together, it seems. If it's the same number of people from chapter 1, I think it probably was. They were all together in one accord in one place. I think that's a reference in the fact that it's the same people who are together in Acts chapter 1. And that's a lot of people. Mind you, there was more than 120 people there in that room. You see, you and I were there. 
And you say to yourself, no, <laughs> I'm not that old. Well, you know, there's certain events in history that you and I were at as believers in the Lord Jesus. And you don't need a time machine to go back to them to make it happen in your experience. You weren't born, but you were there. God saw you as being there. You were there representatively. Sadly, all of humanity was there in the garden, as God sees it when Adam sinned. We all sinned in Adam, and Adam all died. And we know that it is the case that when Christ died on the cross, that we died with him. God sees us, if we believe in the Lord Jesus, God sees us as being there with him. Paul says we died with Christ in Romans 6 verse 8. And thankfully, we were raised out to newness of life with him as well. But we were all here in this room. As believers in the Lord Jesus, if you've trusted in Christ, then you were here 2,000 years ago as God sees it. And so you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit because these early disciples, these early followers of the Lord Jesus, they were there and you were there with them representatively. And so we were in this room. We were there one body in one place. And that completely puts an end to the idea that actually when you trust in the Lord Jesus that you then are baptized individually by the Spirit at that moment when you believe that's not what happens at all. Neither is it the case that you wait for a while and then the Holy Spirit descends onto you later and then you're baptized at some point after, you would hope, maybe not sure. That seems to be the thinking of many believers nowadays. That's not at all. This is one place, one event, one location. You were there as a believer in the Lord Jesus and you should praise God that it's true that that has happened. There wasn't any tarrying, there wasn't any waiting, there wasn't actually any doing by these disciples or all these followers of the Lord Jesus. This was all in the calendar of God. This was going to happen. It wasn't dependent on their belief, their strength of faith, their enthusiasm, anything like that. It was going to happen because God had decreed that it would take place in this moment. And so, when Pentecost was fully come, well, it's fully happened. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind. The sound from heaven is the descent of the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned. The rushing mighty wind is interesting. Here we have this idea of breath again. When you blow out a candle, that's a rushing mighty wind. And that's our breath. Well, you remember that when Adam was created, God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. God breathed life into him in that early moment in the creation story. And then he became alive. He was energized. Well, this is the moment when another man is given life. When the church is given life, this one new man, as Paul writes in an Ephesian letter. And so the church is empowered, the church is given life, the church is made alive by the breathing in of his Holy Spirit, this rushing mighty wind. And then we're told as well that the Spirit, the Spirit of God as it's here, as he's here in this room, that he fills the whole house. And so that's baptism. Baptism is to be immersed, it's to be submerged, it's to be um, surrounded by a substance. And so we have here the fact that these early believers, they were baptized by the Spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself filled all the house where they were sitting. And so there's no need for this being filled externally by the Spirit anymore at all. And so when we read in Ephesians that we're to be filled with the Spirit, it's the idea of being filled up from within. 
is to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, to direct us, to control us, and to have him completely uh, utilizing us, to have him filling us up from within rather than being filled from without. And so we have here this idea of baptism. And so we call it the baptism of the Spirit. Interestingly, and clearly this is an indirect point to make, but it's interesting that we have confirmed the idea of how baptism takes place, aren't we? You know, even on this occasion, we have the fact that the substance or the the person who we're baptized into is filling the whole house. Well, when it is that we're baptized into water, then there's this necessity for it to be immersion as well. Notice what it says as well about divided tongues. The Lord Jesus described that in the future there would be a baptism by the Spirit, and that's here, but also that there would be a baptism by of fire, which is not here. And so sadly, the Lord Jesus was uh, directing the attention of people that day to a future occasion, which is an awful event. You know, if you're not saved and trusting in the Lord Jesus, then you need to think about it. Uh, our brother read from Acts chapter 3, the, the chapter afterwards, and Peter, having done that amazing miracle, he then stands up and says to everybody, he says, you know, the power which has brought about this man's uh, healing is evidence to this that Jesus Christ is, see, is able to save, has the power to save, and you must believe in him. Through him and by him only can we be saved, and it's an essential thing to, to do and to to have that experience in your life. Well, here we have this idea that the the Spirit is not coming in a, in a fireball, but it's like fire. And so this baptism of fire is in the future when God sadly will judge the world, and in particular judge those who have rejected His Son as Saviour. But the Holy Spirit comes down, and it's the very tongues like fire. And it is interesting, though, that the presence of God time and time again is linked with fire. You'll remember Exodus 3, the burning bush, that moment where Moses has that very intimate communication with God. Well, there's fire there. And then as the Lord passes by with Elijah in 1 Kings 19, again, there's wind, there's an earthquake, and there's fire. And then even with the Israelites traveling through the wilderness, there was moments when fire guided them. And so God's presence is indicated at times in Scripture by fire being seen. And that's just what's happening here. The presence of God was with these folks. And we have the presence of God with us just now as the Spirit is in us, as the church, I suppose the church of believers here in Claremont. And so we have God's presence with us, but we don't see any fire about because it's a different occasion, completely distinctly different to this moment here in Acts chapter 2. And then there's this miraculous ability to speak another language. And if you were to go on and read about it, you, you will see it uh, described a bit further as, as Peter actually stands up and everybody understands him, speaking in their own dialect, their own accent. So if you had this ability, and if I had the ability to speak in tongues, which I don't have, then you would be hearing me in the American dialect, I suppose, was the idea here in Acts chapter 2, is, is Peter speaking. I'll not put on a phony American accent to kind of carry that off. I couldn't accomplish it. But it's interesting, you know, here's this miraculous ability to speak in a way which everybody understands. And again, I'll re-emphasize that this was the last sign, the last miracle, if you like, which was directed to Israel as a nation generally. And sadly, most of them misunderstood it or missed it completely. 
But, and you know, I was thinking, we have this moment where God comes down from heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven, and then Peter speaks and everybody understands. Contrast that with the moment when folks were trying to make themselves God by building up to heaven. You've got the occasion where in the early Genesis record after Noah's flood that at Babel, it seems that that early civilization decided that they were going to make themselves as great as God or at least trying to attain a level higher than mere humanity and build up something into the heavens to make themselves a name and to exalt themselves. And God moves and says, no, you can't come to heaven from the down up. And he confuses them by sending them a mixed communication. And so suddenly people start speaking different languages. And nobody understands anything. Contrast that then with this, which is when not people trying to build up to God's heaven, but God comes down from heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is that Peter speaks and everybody understands. It's completely opposite. And it's confirmatory of the fact that God's power is behind this and that this was consistent with God's purpose and God's plan. You know, I just wonder if there were some... Uh, Jewish folks here who were well read in the Old Testament and who knew the prophecies of Joel, which Peter would re- reflect on in his, in his sermon, and his message. And perhaps it was that these 3,000 or at least some of them who got saved this day, who trusted in the Lord Jesus and who were forgiven for their sins by God because of their faith in Christ, perhaps it was just the case that they just had a bit of intelligence about the things that had gone before. You know, the festival of weeks, the fact that this was the fulfillment of God's promises, the fact that they were hearing somebody speaking and that this seemed completely miraculous and was at odds with what had gone before, particularly at Babel. Perhaps this was just a moment when people woke up to the reality of God's purpose and God's movement in this world. You know, wouldn't we like to see that today? We would like to see, wouldn't we? We would like to see the fact that when, when somebody spoke for God that people responded in the way that they did here in Acts chapter 2. And whilst this is a particularly miraculous event, and there'll be nothing like this ever again in history, because it was a fulfillment of God's prediction once and for all, well, we're still dealing with the same God, aren't we? And he is a God who's able to speak to people. And it might not be the case that folks will hear when somebody speaks, them speaking to them in their ears with their own dialect, but they will hear the voice of God. God is still able to move and to speak because his spirit is here on and in this world. Let's flick over to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because we'll need to firm up what it says here as well though because this is a, a key verse in relation to this moment, this day of Pentecost. And so if we have um, the Lord Jesus describing in, an, in advance that Pentecost would happen, And if we have in Acts chapter 2, the event actually being actioned, worked out, we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, Paul looking backwards and analyzing actually what took place when it was that they were all together in one place with one accord and the Spirit descended. And it's it's important to recognize that he brings this in with spiritual gifts as the preceding topic. which he's discussing, and then he's about to launch into this truth about the church being one body. 
and he introduces that in verse 12, but he, he describes the fact that this was made possible on the day of Pentecost. This was accomplished when it was that the Holy Spirit descended. And so he says in verse 13, for by one spirit, now the King James gets this, it's one of the few places that you'll find, I think, with the King James Version um, is, is not as accurate as it could be or should be because that word are is past tense. It's past action. It's, it's aorus tensed. I know very little about Greek, but I know this much that this is past tense. Um, and perhaps if you've got a, a newer translation or a different translation that will be translated where... But that's the idea for by one spirit where we all baptize into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. We certainly see the past tense there in that little last clause of the verse. And so Paul's saying here, look, the, the apostles and the early believers, they waited as instructed by the Lord Jesus for the descent of the Holy Spirit. It happened and he's saying you, now he's saying to people from Greece here, Corinth, he's saying, you know, you were there. It's impossible that they could have been there. Sure, they were, they were maybe old enough to have been there, you know, chronologically, but they were in another part of the world. And, but yet he's saying to them, you were all there. And so Paul's firming up this idea that you were... Uh, represented there when the Holy Spirit came down. But nevertheless, don't mistake this, that it is the case that the Holy Spirit enters into somebody distinctly when it is that you and I believe in the Lord Jesus. And so there are, there are things which are personal and individual. I've listed a few of them here. We, when we trust in Jesus Christ, we are born of the Spirit. John 3, the conversation with Nicodemus, the Lord Jesus tells, us, tells Nicodemus that you have to be born again. And so we're born of the Spirit at the moment that, the Lord, that we trust in the Lord Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit. That's true. The moment that we trust in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22. We're indwelt with the Spirit if we're believing in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. We're sealed by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is essential for our future blessing and our future um, Location. If it is that you and I are going to be in heaven, it's necessary that we have the Holy Spirit within us because he seals us. He's the deposit. He's the guarantee that what God has promised is going to be actioned in the future for us who are trusting in Christ. And then fifthly, we can be filled with the Spirit from within, Ephesians 5 and 18, which I've referenced earlier. And so don't get mixed up. I'm not saying to you that, you know, because there's this corporate group event which we were represented in, right at the start of the church age, that you and I don't have the Holy Spirit within us personally, or we don't have that relationship with us directly. That's not the case. The New Testament describes these things as being true. And so the moment that you and I trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit entered into us, we received him. But that is distinctly different from this idea of being baptized by the Spirit, which took place right at the start of the church age. And so Paul references this, and he says to them that this is necessary. If it is that you're wanting to be involved in service for God and to be active, to be using spiritual gifts, then he goes back to this moment and he says, you know, this is the point where it all began. And this is how we've been empowered by God right from the start of the church age because 
we were all baptized into one body. I trust that this has been of value to us. You know, it's essential, as I've reiterated a few times here, it's essential that this has been made real to us. You know, it's important that we understand that the death of Christ for us was an act where the Lord Jesus died for our sins. And in believing in him, we have forgiveness because he paid the penalty, he paid the debt for sin. But much more difficult perhaps to understand, but necessary all the same for us to actually have this relationship with God through his spirit. And the moment that we believe in him, we come into the good, not only of the death of the Lord Jesus, but also the descent of the spirit of God into this world and into this um, relationship with God because of his because of this moment when the early church were baptized into one spirit. Well, Paul says, after that you were that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know what a, a guarantee that is. God promises a lot of things in this book. But if it is that anybody gives you a promise, you're always looking to see if they've got the bank balance to pay for it, aren't they? You're always just a bit more comfortable when you recognise that the person's got the ability to, you know, work out that promise and to actually make it happen. Well, the fact that the Holy Spirit descended from heaven is evidence to this world and evidence to us that the promises which God has made to us in Christ, he will action in the future because we have the Spirit who has promised to us and is that initial deposit which God has made in us. Looking forward to a future day. May God bless his word to us, shall we pray. Our God in heaven, we give thanks for thy goodness to us. We thank thee that so many promises which have been made have been actioned and been worked out. Not least the coming of the Lord Jesus into this world. The virgin did conceive and bore a son and the Lord Jesus was born. He was born at Bethlehem just as the prophet of old had said he would. The one who is the everlasting one. We thank thee that he died on the cross as the feasts and the offerings and the sacrifices pointed towards. But we thank thee also that the Spirit came, thy Spirit descended from heaven, and that he energized and brought about the birth of the church. And we thank that we are part of that body through faith in the Lord Jesus. We pray that we might recognize the responsibilities of that, and the, the need to be ambassadors for Christ and to represent him here in this world. We pray that we might be directed towards these things, guided by thy spirit and controlled by him to the glory of thy son's name. Help us as we have considered these things. We do prayer, God, as we give thanks for time what was spent together around thy person, considering thy word as we give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus again.